that, and uh, we're just going to dive in this morning. Last week, we got started on a series called Here as in Heaven, really looking at the kingdom of God, and we, we spent some time looking at the, uh, the present and future reality of God's eternal reign, that G- it was Jesus that, that came to, to ring in um, and, and bring heaven to earth, and then he, he's, he's left it in, in our hands to carry that forward until he returns. And so today, I, I really want to spend some time talking about what it means to be blessed, because if you've been on social media for more than like a second, you've probably dropped a hashtag blessed at least once, right? Come on, somebody be honest. You've dropped a hashtag blessed here or there. Toes in the sand, the big pizza comes out, pineapple or no pineapple, I'm a pineapple guy, so I know you, it seems like that's like a, you create an enemy when you do that. I don't get, I don't get it. Like, what did pineapples ever do to anybody? But, um, uh, but I, I started snooping around on Instagram under that hashtag, blessed, and I just had some stuff and just how we kind of misdefine um, and we, we, we define it kind of all wrong. I saw some of these, and we'll throw these up and kind of get a kick out of the, the, these. The first one really made me laugh. If really good-looking people are eye candy, I guess that puts me somewhere in the eye broccoli category. <laughs> hashtag moms of Instagram, hashtag blessed. Um, these, I saw these gals up there, and their first hashtag was empire, hashtag luxury, hashtag property, goals, money, team, London, real estate, some other words I don't even know. Hashtag blessed, you know, up there, empire, luxury, that's the, that's blessing. This girl was doing the classic duck face, you know, gotta get a duck face on there. I have no idea what she was saying, but she did say hashtag blessed with her nice duck face on Instagram. Uh, This guy, I couldn't show you the second picture in which he's showing off what he calls a six pack. Uh, The second picture is him showing off his his six pack, but just check these out. Hashtag Tuesday, hashtag fitness, hashtag bodybuilding, hashtag cardio, hashtag happiness, hashtag six pack, hashtag shredded, hashtag meal prep, hashtag faith, hashtag happiness, hashtag blessed, hashtag model, right? He was lucky if it was a two-pack. Well, he was saying six-pack. So here's one with Snoop Dogg. Like getting to watch Snoop Dogg, Jimmy Kimmel. Hashtag book by royalty. Hashtag Jimmy Kimmel. Hashtag legend. Hashtag blessed. Get to see Snoop. Um, there were some funny ones here. This one's me. This is like if I dropped hashtag blessed, it would be because of my miter saw that I just love woodworking. So that one would be up there too. Um, let me see, what else, we, we got a couple more. Uh, anybody, this is your hashtag blessed, riding in a sweet ride. Uh, that's, I, I love the, how like uh, social media works, Follow, like hashtag follow for follow, hashtag I like for like. If you like me, I'll like you. It's like that's how this, this works. Anyway, um, anybody a musician, like hashtag blessed when you get a new guitar, a new instrument. Awesome. I think we've got one or two more. This is mine right here. This is everybody. Godiva ice cream. That's definitely living the blessed life right there. It's funny. We've got all these, we've, we've got all these appropriations that we kind of use this word. You've probably used blessed at some point. You've probably used that word even if you haven't hashtagged it because it gets annoying after a while when someone says hashtag, hashtag, hashtag. You're like, shut up with the hashtags. Um, but you've probably used that, that word at some point. And we really mostly define it as uh, and, and appropriate it to when everything's good. 
like when everything's perfect in the family, when the marriage is great, like when toes are in the sand, when the kids are behaving, like right, we don't drop a hashtag blessed after the kids are like about to make us jump off a cliff. Like we don't do it then. We do it when everything's just kind of good. And when we get, we're going to dive into Matthew chapter 5. And Matthew chapter 5 and 7 is really Jesus' first sermon. It's his sermon on the mount. And if you're with us last week, we, got, we began talking about the kingdom of God, and we were, we were referencing Israel and their expectations for what a Messiah might look like. And, and they had lived in this life of slavery, in this impoverished mindset, and God had delivered them from that, but they had, they had been run down. And so when their hopes and dreams of the Messiah was that he would come back and rule authoritatively, and, and, and establish political dominance for Israel. They would take it by force. They would get vindication for their nation and their people. They would have peace and prosperity. And how Jesus begins his Sermon on the Mount, well, let's, let's read it. Let's read it, and we'll dive in and, and see how the scriptures define being blessed. Matthew chapter 5. Now, uh, when, G, uh, when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside. They were already following him out of the gate, first sermon, People are are surrounding him. He went up the mountainside, he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So the Messiah has come, and out of the gate when they are expecting this vindication, they're getting a whole different sermon than what they were hoping for. They were ready to mount up on horses and go. And here he's like, no, 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 blessed are the poor in spirit. And it's as if, it's funny because like if you had to define the word blessed, I'm guessing it would have something to do with kind of um, like a deeper sense of happiness. Like when everything's good, like a deeper sense of that. And what's interesting is the actual word that Jesus is using, the literary term, it's an elongated poetic form of a common word like happy and blessed is kind of an elongated And it's as if Jesus, through his first word out of his sermon and the repetition thereafter, he is declaring that following me, stepping into my kingdom, it's going to be, first of all, very different. But what's going to come with that is blessing. And I would just define this for our purposes today as a a, to be supremely or divinely satisfied or fulfilled, to be like supremely and divinely satisfied, because that's like everything's at rest, like there's just this satisfaction, fulfillment, and what happens, what we see through the hashtags there is that many times when we say we're blessed, we're identifying that which is satisfying us. The car satisfied us, the ice cream is fulfilling us in that moment. And what Jesus is saying is, is, is I want to satisfy and fulfill you in a way, in, in building my kingdom, and bringing you into my kingdom like you, you couldn't fathom before this. And so 
I, I want us to dive in and begin to understand this uh, a little deeper today and maybe walk away with a different understanding as Jesus brought to the people of Israel a completely different understanding of what it meant to be in his kingdom and what it meant to be blessed. Uh, th- this text is commonly referred to as the Beatitudes. If you probably grew up, grew up in, a, in a traditional church where there's Sunday school, you probably went through the Beatitudes at some point. And it comes from this Latin translation, the Vulgate of the, the New Testament text, uh, this word beat, which is where we get Beatitudes. It's kind of an elaboration there. But in our modern English language, it kind of works, too, in understanding if we just take be attitude, and attitude's actually spelled a little bit differently, but it's, it's our attitude of being, like who we are that, that comes in from, in, or from inside of us. It comes out in, it's, it's, who, we, it's who we are. We, as believers, as sons and daughters of God, as those invited into his kingdom, as heirs, we find ourselves with these attitudes. And as we begin to look at them, hopefully you'll begin to recognize that, that the majority of these, I'd say seven out of the eight, are standards for the citizens of believers, of the citizens of, of heaven, the kingdom of heaven. But I think this first one, none of the other ones, but I think this first one has something to do with our acceptance into the kingdom of heaven. That when, when we find ourselves poor in spirit. And so today, um, I really just want to teach through this text. I want to teach through Matthew chapter 5. If you've been here for any length of time, particularly in the, the past uh, month or two, I, I, I've always said I'm a, I'm a teacher, and I just think a good teaching of the scriptures will preach itself. That's always kind of been my motto and, and kind of been my style, but I feel like lately God's just been kind of got this fire going. I've been preaching hard. And so I just want to teach on this text, and, and, and I hope that we can grab a hold of it. And so whether we're understanding what it means to enter into the kingdom of heaven or just to live up to this standard of citizens. Uh, when you move into a new neighborhood, if there's an HOA, there's certain rules and standards. Your trash can can't be left out at this point. Your house must be this color. It's as if Jesus is inviting us in and saying, hey, welcome. This is what it looks like to establish my kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, is to embody this. And it's a, it's a blessed, fulfilled, satisfied life. And so let's begin by looking at the verse 3 there. Uh, that says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Again, their hoping and their expectation is a Messiah who will bring prosperity. And out of the gate, he's like, blessed are the poor in spirit. It's like, wait, wait a second, that wasn't what I was looking for, <laughs> you know? And even for us, like looking at this, even if you've studied this text for, uh, for many years, it's kind of difficult to understand what does it mean to be poor in spirit? Like, aren't we supposed to be rich in spirit in Christ? Like, aren't we... Supposed to be overflowing? Like, how is it blessed to be poor in spirit? That sounds kind of like a bad thing, doesn't it? For theirs is the the kingdom of heaven. But you see why I think this has to do with our acceptance into the kingdom of heaven is because we can't, when we come to God and, and we get a glimpse of his glory, when we get a glimpse of his perfection, when we get a, a glimpse of his grace, it is so magnificent that we begin to see how impoverished we are of spirit. 
Like, it's, it's humbling. If you're having trouble with the concept of poor in spirit, hum, humility would be a great one to just put in there. there but but the, poor, the poverty of spirit is something where when we come before the throne of God and see his perfection, what it does is that light. Like, I, I like really moody lighting. Um, and, and so when you come into a new environment, like when you walk outside, it squints your eyes. And, and when I go into a, another home in which, oh, they have, they have more lighting in here. And that's what happens. It shines on us and, and it causes us to realize, man, my house is really dark. Like I'm really impoverished spirit. Like I'm not holy like he's holy. And we find that we're, we're fallen, we're sinful. And, and that puts us in a place that really we can enter into the kingdom of heaven. We can be called heirs when we realize that we are sinful. And on our own, we're not, we're not good enough. We're not. There's no amount of good doing that you can do. Like you can be the very best you can ever be your entire life and it will not be good enough. It won't be good enough. It, it's filthy rags in light of God's perfection and his righteousness. And until we get there, we can't enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so this throws us for a loop because most of us, we do our best over the course of our life to perfect ourselves morally. And we have this assumption, if I'm good, if I'm better, then God will accept me and he'll let me in. But that's not the gospel. That's legalism. That's what the old covenant was. And all it did was bring us to the place to realize that we can't keep up that no amount of good doing will allow us to be in God's presence, but it's only by the blood of Jesus and his sovereign grace that allows us to come. And, and it's in that place of humility and poverty of spirit in which we can enter in. Uh, Luke chapter 18, verses nine through 14, Jesus tells uh, an awesome little story that I'll do in character, and so run with me on this. Uh, to some who were confident of their own righteousness, right? That's kind of what I was just saying, confident of our own righteousness, and, and, and look down on everybody else. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. Religious, Mr. Try to do everything right, tax collector, looked down on in society. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector, he stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. And he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. It's insane that, and it doesn't matter how good you've been, at some point you've got to see that it's not good enough. And like some of us, we have a, thought, a theology. I call it good old boy theology. That's what I call it. Oh yeah, he's a, he's a, good, he's a good guy. Yeah, she's a good, she's a good lady. She's got a good heart. On our very best day, it's not enough. We must get to this place to enter into be heirs of the kingdom of heaven in which we realize it's not good enough. And so I, I would just say this to kind of wrap that up. This is foundational for us in our faith. This is foundational. There's a reason Jesus puts this first, that there must be poverty of spirit before there can be riches of spirit. There must be emptiness before there can be fulfillment to be blessed. We enter God's kingdom through humility and light of his glory and grace. The next one, I won't preach as long on each one of these. I said I was going to teach, but I can't help it. 
Um, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The first one is an adjective. This one's actually a verb. And so if we think about what's, what's the activity, think about your own walk, for, for those of you that are, are uh, believers in the house. If, think about your response early on in your walk when you realized how filthy and broken you were. Some depth of mourning. Some kind of sense of brokenness. And all of our mourning, all of it, is directly or indirectly related to sin. And the reason that we as believers can, can look at a statement like this and, and, and not say, that's, that's crazy. Who, you're not blessed when you mourn because we're comforted. Because victory over sin and death has been accomplished. And that's through Christ. And, and so we're comforted in that, to know that sin has been defeated even though we struggle with it in this life and we mourn. And, and what's funny is that we kind of begin to look, keep our head down like this, um, this tax collector here. But I love what Psalm 3 verse 3 says. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me. You're the, my glory. You're, you're my glory. I'm not... You, you're my glory, the one who lifts my head up. Every once in a while as a husband, Taryn will get down on herself, and Beckett does this too. He's seven. I'm the worst kid in the world. Like I'm the worst person in the world. And I just, every time, I don't yell at him about that. I come over, and his head's down, and I just, I lift his head up. Like, hey, bud, you're, you're an amazing kid. I love you. I love you, I love you, and I just build them up. It's a very intimate saying, this lifter of my head is really of a marital relationship where in, in bed one, one is lifted up. And there's something deep about this when it comes to how we mourn over our poverty of spirit, but in that God comforts us and says, it's not about how weak you are, but I'm actually gonna let my glory shine through your, your weakness. It'll be so that I'll be made great through that. And you, we can begin to see that, that God does something. There must be a brokenness, but then he lifts us up too. He exalts us. You remember, go back to that scripture, those that humble themselves will be exalted. It'll happen. Um, and so there, there's something deep about this. The, the weightiness of sin in the world is is. is uh, deafening, and it brings us to mourning. What is taking place in Syria right now, we shouldn't mourn over it, church. We shouldn't mourn over it. There's brokenness, innocent lives that, that are, are being lost. Believers that are, are being persecuted in the, in the Middle East right now and all over the world. Uh, I just say this, there's still blessing even in our mourning. We can live as blessed people because we have a comforter. Jesus said, it's good I leave because when I leave, I'm going to send the paraclete. I'm going to send a comforter to come alongside you. And not only that, but God has given us the body of Christ. And so today, if you find yourself mourning, be comforted by what Jesus did at the cross. Be comforted by his spirit who is so present, ever present in our time of need. And by the body of Christ who is present in this room, you're not alone. There's comfort in his kingdom. And we experience the goodness of God and the goodness of his kingdom through the comfort of his spirit and his body. The third one, this one blew my mind because I, I don't think I'd, I'd known and understood what it meant to be meek. It's not a word we use a lot. When's the last time you used the word meek? Not very often, I would assume. But it's another adjective describing this. I love how David Gezek, a, a commentator, really talked about this. 
It has the idea of the proper balance between anger and indifference, of a powerful personality properly controlled and of humility, a strong stallion that has been trained to do the job. It doesn't run out of control. It is strength under control. It is strength under submission. We talked about submission last week. This word, uh, meek, actually comes from an Anglo-Saxon word that's mecca. And what it literally means is companion or equal. So that's what really where we get this word meek from, uh, translation-wise. And it says something to us because when we think of meek, we might think of as less than. But it's amazing how through these first three, God is bringing us a certain disposition of people within his kingdom. Think about it. I find that I'm, I'm nothing without Jesus, basically. I'm comforted in that, and I begin to have this sense of self-confidence where I might look down on my weakness. And I think we see this through the life of Paul, and we certainly see it through the life of Jesus. But here in meekness, it's, it's not anger, which some of us, we get you know, pow, you know, powered up and just ready to, to, to you know, take hell with a pitchfork type of thing or with a water pistol, as some people say. But it, it, it's not just that, but it's, it, or it's indifference. Where, and if, I think if you think about this, we find ourselves kind of flip-flopping. Like I get really angry about something or I'm just passive about it. But, but this invitation to meekness, and we'll inherit the earth through meekness, is this invitation to, first of all, not see ourselves as better than anybody else. And when we do that, we know that our, our power comes from within, and I'm under submission, and I can walk in confidence. I can walk in confidence. So there's this disposition of this that's kind of between anger and indifference, that's kind of between I'm nothing and I'm everything, in which I'm submitted, and I, I understand that I can only do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, Paul talked about this in Philippians 2. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each two of you to the interest of others in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. We'll just stop there. Who, in humility, made himself a servant. So we don't see ourselves as better than anybody. Um, my, my entire walk with God, I feel like for a long time, maybe 10 years, was this roller coaster where I'm nothing and I'm everything. And I just found myself weaving through this. And I think understanding what real meekness is, that it is strength under control. When Jesus was not providing some big sermon when he was being accused and on trial, he wasn't providing some big sermon. He actually was silent showing what meekness was, that it was strength under control, it was strength under submission to the will of the Father. You see, when we, um, when we walk in this meekness, we're able to inherit the, the earth and be who he's called us to be, and we, established, we establish his kingdom through strength under submission and in submission. The truth of the matter is that we can't do this on our own. Come on, we'll, we'll, go, to, we'll go to anger, we'll go to indifference, to, to walk in strength under control and under submission is very difficult. I've found over the past 11 years uh, as a husband, as a father, that this is how God's called me to, to lead my family, is with meekness. I, I've found that the, our relationship, our intimacy grows so much closer when I lead with strength under control, with meekness, with humility 
And, and I, I, I lead my family that way, a sense of gentleness of spirit that we see through the life of Jesus. We establish his kingdom when we live out that disposition in all things and we inherit the earth. Uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Um, when we were in college, Taryn and I started dating in college, and uh, we'd go out to get lunch every uh, once in a while, and pretty much all the time she paid. So um, yeah, I was I was that guy. I didn't I didn't make uh, the kind of money she made at the time. Uh, I was kind of I don't even think I had a job my first semester. Um, but we, we had started dating our first semester of school, and uh, throughout that year, uh, she'd go out, and she, you know she's she's paying. But you know, many times she want me to make a decision: where where do you want to go? And then you know we'd play the game. I don't know wherever you want to go. We do that whole thing. Um, but then she would suggest a place, and I'd say I don't want to go there. That's chick food, you know. Anybody ever called it chick food? You know what I'm talking about when I say chick food? Anybody? It means I'm gonna walk away and still be hungry. That's what it means. Like I'm still like guys are like yeah. Feel you, dude. Gonna walk away still hungry. Um, and so God wants us to be fulfilled. Like, blessed is to be satisfied in Him. And I would just ask you, like, what, what are you hungry for? What are you most hungry for? Jesus said there's blessing, there's ultimate satisfaction and fulfillment when we hunger and thirst for righteousness. Righteousness is kind of a big word, big theological word. It means basically right thinking and right actions. And as we talked about when we were talking about poverty of spirit, there is no amount of our righteousness that we can be saved by. When, when we confess that we, we um, or confess of our sins, repent of our, our sins, and uh, confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we are given righteousness. We're given it. We're given it. Because no amount of our righteousness is good enough. But thereafter, Paul said we should live a life worthy of the calling that we've received, meaning that we should walk out this right thinking and right actions, this righteousness. We should be living that out. And Jesus here is saying, blessed are those who hunger and thirst to know God's will in our actions and in our minds, to, to know right actions and right thoughts, not according to uh, Kyle's gospel, but according to um, God's good and perfect will and command. And so we find ourselves, if we want to be filled, if we don't want to walk away and constantly be searching for something that would fill us and finding cars and success and ice cream and you name it and, and likes on Facebook and our physical body looking for satisfaction and fulfillment, we will find it when we hunger and thirst after righteousness. We'll be filled. And so if, if there's any other pursuit in which you find yourself kind of a little more satisfied when I do that instead of when I do this. I just, I just put it like this. There's still meat on the bones in order for us to hunger and thirst after righteousness. And this is an ongoing pursuit. And, and there's this beautiful thing about the life of a believer in which we, you ever ate a meal so good that like you couldn't eat anymore? <laughs> Right, um, we've got our, our 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 friend Marley here with us, and last night she had some chocolate cake. And Taryn's doing no sugar, and I'm I'm doing more sugar. Um, it's just the diet, it's just the diet I'm on right now. And so, um, so anyway, she, she split the, the cake with me, and it was amazing. Like I was holding back, I was like, "This is terrible, Taryn. Don't worry about it." Uh, but it was so good. Like I'm not even like a chocolate 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 guy, but it was amazing. Once you get done with this, we gotta go get you one. So I'm sorry. Um, 
but it was so good. I was so stuffed by just a half of this cake when it was done. But as soon as I got done with it, I said, man, that'd be good to have tomorrow too. Like it was that good. You ever had a meal that was so good? You were so stuffed the night before. I'd be like, man, I'd go back again tonight. You ever ate a meal like that? That's what it means to be a child of God, to be ever satisfied and filled in him, but always longing for more of him. That that's what it means. Um, we're satisfied in God's kingdom through deep longing to be more like Christ. Uh, I'll speed through these next couple if I can. Uh, verse seven, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. We see this thread throughout the New Testament. We see it in James chapter two, verse 12 13, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Not the law of the Old Testament, but the law of the New Testament, the new covenant, which gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Uh, the New Testament teaches a, a ton on this, and like you better be careful, because it's a scale, as the New Testament tells us, when it comes to judgment and mercy one of the greatest diseases killing our churches and why many of you in this room have left the church at some point because of a critical and a judgmental spirit within a church. It's probably run some of you out of the church at some point because people were judgment, like the, the, they didn't show mercy, they didn't walk in grace when you, when you stumbled, when you fell. They didn't, they didn't operate in that way. They were critical and judgmental and just said, you know, you're, you're dead to me. And I, and I think... I think sometimes as, as people of God, we, we struggle with this mercy thing. But it's obviously a big deal to Jesus, right? We constantly see it in his ministry. And it's a part of what he is saying is a part of the standard. It's the standard to which he holds for us. And the same amount of judgment that we do will be returned back to us. And so like, just think about that practically speaking, like real literally speaking. You know, if, if you give $10 worth of mercy you'll get $10 worth of mercy back. If you give $1, one day of mercy, how much will you get back? All right, so I'm just getting super literal about this. I don't really know how it's gonna work at the end with Jesus and, and he's there and this all in grace and, and everything, okay? It's, it's deep to think about, but it's the same measure. And so there's a scale. And so day by day, action by action, um, indifference, anger, opportunity is the same amount that we'll be, be judged by. And so he, he actually, this is the only place in which he said, blessed are the merciful, and that's exactly what you'll get back. Other times it's like hunger and thirst for righteousness, you'll be filled, you know, there's the kingdom of heaven. This is the only time in which he repeats it. Like you want that, you, you better give it. You better give it. And Jesus is constantly getting on to us for being hypocrites. For for saying one thing and doing another, for wishing people would treat us one way, but we treat other people another way. We've got this double standard. That's another disease in the church when it comes to judgment and this double standard. We, we shy away from it sometimes for a couple of reasons that I can just name today. We shy away from mercy thinking that some got what they deserve. Come on, you ever said that before? No, if they don't want to work, then they don't eat, you know? And we just quote that scripture there and, and, and not quote this scripture. 
Like we just, we just choose when there's someone that's hungry and needs food. We just choose, nope, nope, you don't work, you don't eat, instead of showing mercy. And sometimes I think we kind of find ourselves in, in kind of a difficult position um, and we shy away from mercy because we don't want to condone certain behaviors that, that aren't God's plan. But condoning the behavior and mercy are two different things. They're two completely different things. And we can walk in God's mercy without condoning um, sin and like finding ourselves in a camp where we might fall in ourselves or in a place in which we don't line up with God's word. And I would just say this, that the gospel and the kingdom of God is halted in communities and people groups in which we don't apply mercy to. I think that it's mercy that actually gives us the right to be able to speak into people's lives. And so if you're not applying mercy in someone's life and you're not willing to love them and be graceful to them, you don't have the right to speak truth into their life. Because it it is mercy that's going to pave the way through relationship. If Jesus showed us anything, he was inviting people along in a relationship. And so it's got to be mercy that leads the way. And I love this story that came out of Easter, out of this church in Texas. Some of you might have heard about this. I don't remember... the, the name of the church, but this church spends about $100,000 on their marketing for Easter. So uh, that's a lot of money. Uh, that's print material, that's you know radio ads, TV ads, billboards, the whole nine yards. Big promotion, 100 grand every year for Easter. That's on their budget line. This year, the pastor said, I, I really feel we're supposed to do something else with this $100,000. And so they thought up the idea, hey, Let's bless those who have outstanding medical debt, and let's go and let's just pay their medical bills. And so up to $100,000, that's what they had. So they told their church, this is what we're doing. If you want to give and help us you know, make a huge impact, this is what we're going to do. We're going to start with our veterans in our community, and we're going to make sure they don't have any outstanding medical bills and that they get to, to walk away from that you know, debt-free. Uh, and then we're going to do everybody else in our community until the, the money runs out. So they ended up raising uh, like over like one, one and a half million dollars and they announced it on, on Easter that this is like, people, nobody knew about the amount. They just knew the church was doing this. And so there at Easter with large attendance, they said, many of you here today have had outstanding medical bills for a long time. Uh, you haven't been able to pay them off. And I just want you to know you have a letter coming your way that says paid in full, that it's been paid for. You didn't do anything for it. You didn't work for it. Um, and everyone in our county or community, whatever square mileage of it, every single debt has been paid. Every single medical bill. And they said that we just want you to know that's exactly what Jesus did for you. It's finished. It's paid in full. That's what God did for you. And when we understand that, our own poverty of spirit, and we've, been re- we've received that much mercy, how much is it easier to be able to preach that same gospel when we know we've received it deep within our heart? Um, blessed are the, uh, we introduce people to God's kingdom through merciful living. Verse eight, eight just a few more here. Uh, blessed are the pure in spirit, for they will see God. When we think of pure in spirit, you know, Jesus didn't say blessed are the pure in language. He didn't say blessed are the pure in actions. Because he wasn't trying to modify our behavior from the outside in. He knows that every good thing is going to come from within. He wouldn't do something in us that just flows out. When there becomes fresh water in here, fresh water is going to flow. When there's salt water in here, salt water is going to flow. Blessed are the pure in spirit. And we can kind of even begin to misunderstand or pure in heart. I think when you really begin to study out this word 
It means undivided devotion. Undivided devotion, pure in heart. There's nothing getting in the way of my devotion to you. That's, that's basic. I can't receive that blessing if I'm still filled up with other things, if I'm still finding satisfaction more in my job. And I think it's natural. I think it's the flesh that we have to crucify. And I told our staff this week, this, this same quote, I said, the amount of me that I'm willing to die to is the amount of Christ that can fill me. So if I'm willing to die to getting satisfaction out of my career more than Jesus, I'm not saying you can't get satisfaction, but more than I'm satisfied and hungering and thirsting for him, then that can't be filled. Like Jesus can't fill that. And so it's undivided devotion. So whatever that is, as we go around the merry-go-round trying to find satisfaction and fulfillment and find blessing in the next thing, after we've been convicted about the last thing, we move to something else. We find satisfaction in food or you name it or our address, or like you, you fill in the blank. Our deepest satisfaction, our undivided devotion is for him, and it's the greatest, it's the greatest blessing of, of them all, for they will see God. There is no greater blessing, no greater longing for the believer for us to experience him. And so I just want to ask you, is your heart divided, or is it un, undivided devotion for God? We experience the depth of God's beauty through an undivided devotion of heart. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Uh, if you wanted the scripture on that last one, it's Matthew 23, 25, and 26. Jesus gets onto them for cleaning the outside of the cup, but not the in. So if those of you that are keeping up with all my subscriptures. Um, blessed are the peacemakers, Matthew 23, 25, and 26 is where I was going there. Uh, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. I love this one text in John, um, in John in which Jesus said, they'll know you, like speaking of those on the outside of the body of Christ, they will know your mind by your love for one another. That's how. That's how others will see it. Not by all your righteous deeds, not by all your righteous actions. No, just by how you love each other. They'll sense there is something real there's something real here when you are loving one another. And this idea of peacemaker, I think we commonly understand it of I'm a peacemaker, you know, when Jason is upset with Jim, you know. And, like, I, I find myself in the middle. I'm trying to make peace. Anybody, like, you are that person in your family. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, you just, you're the peacemaker that wants harmony, and you just find yourself in the middle. Try. But, you know, I think sometimes we find ourselves in that position. Many times we're actually one of the offendees or the offended like we're the ones who, who's offended somebody else or they've offended us and we're actually a part of it. And every time there's discord, every time there's this lack of unity within the body of Christ or our family or at work, will we be peacemakers? This is not someone who wants peace. This is someone who will actively step in to be a part of peace. This is not someone who's like praying for peace in the Middle East at a distance. This is a peacemaker who will go and navigate to parties. And, and I just want you to know, like, at the heart of the gospel is peace. It is peace between man and God. And so if we want peace, like, at the deepest sense of that unity and harmony, it comes from the gospel of Jesus and people being made right. One of my favorite texts, I talk about it regularly, is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19 and 20. 
that says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against him. And he has committed to us the message or the ministry of reconciliation, that that is our call to go out and reconcile people and let to share the good news that, hey, at some point you're gonna realize that you're not good enough. At some point you're gonna realize that the glory of God is so rich and that'll either be on this side of eternity or on the other side. And if we'll humble ourselves now, then we can walk in freedom and be reconciled in a genuine relationship with God. And many times we find ourselves on one, either in the middle or on the other side of this and we have a choice Will I be a peacemaker? Will I be a peacemaker? Will I go and say, Jason, I'm sorry, man. I, I didn't realize that. I heard that I hurt your feelings, and um, I'm, I'm, really, I'm really sorry about it. And uh, I just hope, hope that you can forgive me. Like it just breaks everything down. When we come with poverty of spirit, when we come with humility, when we come with meekness, and we have a heart to be a peacemaker, not of, no, he should know better. I didn't mean that. Like he can get over it. I mean, <laughs> I can get over, he'll get over it. Or, oh, I'm scared of what that's going to mean. Like, I think as believers, like, we, we've, got, we've got to mature because we live in a world that is, is afraid, is scared to death of confrontation. We're, we're raising a generation that doesn't know how to handle conflict very well. And so we're resulting to all kinds of violence and shooting up schools and stuff. And I think it's all this, it's all this lack of peace within it's all this lack of reconciliation within and not knowing how to deal with this conflict. And God has called us to be people that if we want to see it and allow his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, then we got to do it in our own family. <laughs> like, we can't be praying for peace out there and, and, and not really being a peacemaker in our own home, in our own office suite. Come on, let's be that people in, in, by all means in the body of Christ because that's how they'll see that we are children of God and we'll be called children of God. So we reflect God's character and kingdom when we work to create harmony. The last one, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This one is kind of a summary that's saying, look, you can be establishing all of these characteristics of righteousness. You can be doing this and still see persecution. Right? That would be the thought. If I'm like the best me I can be, then you know, A, B, and C won't happen. But sometimes, actually, when we begin to embody that, there's persecution that comes with that. People don't get it. They don't receive it. And Jesus said, we've got to be able to brush dust off us. We've got to know that it's not a rejection of us. It's a, re- it's a rejection of his truth and his gospel, his message of grace and mercy. It's not a rejection of us. And we've got to be able to remove ourselves out of that seat in order to be willing to be faithful despite whatever persecution might come. We're in 2018 right now, if I, if I remember correctly. So across this room, we've got different amounts of lifespan. Some young will not live to see old. Um, we, we, we don't know. Um, we, we have a different uh, lifespan in our lives. And we don't know what 30 years from now is going to hold in our nation. We don't. Uh, we wrestle with that. Some of you lose sleep over watching the news at night and then just struggling with what you're seeing and uh, don't have this sense of peace. Um, 
But there is this blessing, this fulfillment and satisfaction, even in the midst of persecution. Even on the worst day. Not when it's hashtag empire. Not when the six pack is, you know, awesome. Not when the ice cream is in hand. No, no, no. Even when you're being persecuted and you are giving your life for the gospel and the community that God called you to and you feel like God has forsaken you, Jesus is saying, no, no, no. There is fulfillment, there is satisfaction in the faithfulness of walking with him. And I just want us as a body, as a community, right here, Fathom Church, Jacksonville, Florida, I want us to be so at rest and so satisfied in him for our whole life. Like, what could God do in our community? What could he do in our family if we just begin to usher all this in? And we find ourselves poverty of spirit and we begin acting so mercifully. We begin to just be peacemakers within our family and our church. Like, here's what I think will happen. I think that people, and some of you are, are new and this is your first time here, but I think people that come in and, and get a sense of the community and not just a service, but you get to know the people. My sense is that people would walk in and be like, this don't feel super earthly to me. <laughs> like, this feels strangely heavenly because people just love each other and they just they reach out mercy and I, and I give it to them and I, it's been returned back to me and they're they're working together and they're humble but they're confident it's just like God's it's, it's amazing I think they'll begin to, to witness and see this among the people like what what a difference this would make if we just begin to usher his kingdom on earth as is in heaven as we live out these characteristics these standards not of acceptance, but of his citizens. Once we've been accepted, this is the standard in which we are called to. Um, and so um, the, the band's gonna come today, and I just wanna ask you a simple question today. Um, which of these eight B attitudes is resonating with you? Which one's resonating with you today? Is it the poverty of spirit one? Is it uh, the meekness one? Is it the merciful one? Is it the hungering, thirsting for righteousness? Is it the mourning and will be comforted one? Which, which one is it this morning that's resonating with you? The pure in heart, the peacemakers, the even persecuted for our righteousness? Is there one that's resonating with you today that God is saying, hey, hey, I want you to walk in this. And we feel convicted of our heart to, to walk in and be more merciful, to comfort those who mourn to be comforted ourselves, or maybe we're, we're kind of at that place, we feel conviction in our heart that we're at that place of poverty of spirit where I realize there's no amount of good doing in my life. Am I gonna be able to do this except by the grace of God? And it's acceptance into his kingdom. And so I, I don't know where each one of you are, but I imagine all across this room, God's speaking, maybe, maybe just one of these things. Maybe it's a multitude. Maybe it's just one of these in which God is saying, hey, walk in this. Walk through the door. Be called a child of God. Be called an heir of the kingdom of heaven. And I just believe God wants to do something.